Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we started a new sermon series last week, and we are studying together Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, the letter to the Galatians is a, uh, um, a letter of huge historical significance. Um, it was uh, one of the books of the Bible that sparked the Reformation, as uh, people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Oryx Zwingli and others read uh, God's word and, and rediscovered the beauty of the gospel and of justification by faith, they, they, uh, they started um, preaching and teaching this gospel and uh, it led to um, changing our world. And um, remembering the gospel, rediscovering the gospel, grounding ourselves again in the, the truths of the gospel is something that every generation has to do, right? Can't just um, lean on the, uh, the, the good things that happened you know, 400 years ago. We have to rediscover the gospel and the implications of it in our own day for our own children, for the next generation. And so that's why we're studying uh, Galatians together and praying um, that we would have the same kind of uh, revival and reformation uh, in our day. Let me give you uh, just a little bit of context that you need to know uh, for understanding this passage that many of you already know, but some of you might not know, is about a man uh, whose name was Saul. Saul was uh, a, a Jewish leader, and he was persecuting the new church uh, of Christ and uh, was trying to uh, uh, track down and, uh, uh, and intimidate and even murder these new Christians after Jesus' resurrection and uh, Saul was actually at uh, the stoning of Stephen. When Stephen was stoned to death, Saul was the, was the coat check guy, right, holding the coats of those who killed Stephen. Saul went on a rampage out of his uh, religious uh, zealousness, and uh, one time he was heading to the city of Damascus to, uh, to do these things. And as he was headed there, the risen Jesus uh, intercepted him, right, appeared to him, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and redirected him, converted him, made him a follower of him, and sent him on a new mission, not to destroy the church, but to grow it, right? And so Saul became Paul, and Paul is the one who wrote the letter to the Galatians. And so that's what we're reading this morning. So if you're willing and able, would you stand and uh, Rachel DeBeer is going to read God's word for us from Galatians uh, 1, starting at verse 10. There we go. For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to, into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So everybody has a gospel. Everybody has a gospel. The word gospel in the Greek, it, euangelion, it simply means good news, right? So none of us wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, I really want to get bad news today, right? All of us have a strategy to try to secure good news for ourselves or for our family or for our world. Every one of us operates with a gospel. The question is, is your gospel the real gospel? Is your gospel the true gospel or is it a false gospel? Because false gospels promise good news, they promise salvation, but they always fail. In the end, a false gospel turns out to be no gospel at all. There are lots of false gospels uh, in our culture today. Just a few of them as examples uh, would be, um, for example, the prosperity gospel, right? That we look to health and wealth and money uh, for good news. The, the therapeutic gospel, we look to uh, self-improvement and self-esteem for our good news. The political gospel, we look to a po politician or a party for good news. The rationalistic gospel, we look to science and reason for good news. Well, in Galatia, the false gospel of the day, the false gospel du jour that Paul was fighting against was the Judaizing gospel. There was this group of people known as the Judaizers, and the Judaizers, these false teachers, were saying that Gentile believers in Jesus had to become Jewish, that good news for them, salvation, they taught, came from faith in Jesus plus being circumcised and following the Mosaic law. And in order to strengthen their following, these Judaizers went on a PR campaign against 
Paul, saying they accused him of being a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. Don't listen to Paul, they said. Listen to us. So how would Paul respond? And how would the Galatians know which gospel was the real one, which gospel to believe? Well, look again at what Paul writes, these kind of summary verses And verse 11 and 12, Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says it ultimately comes down to this. How do you know which gospel is the real gospel? Is it from man or is it from God? Is it man's gospel or is it God's gospel? Gospel, because all false gospels are from men, but the true gospel is from God. And to answer his critics and to illustrate the difference between man's gospel and God's gospel, Paul shares here his testimony, his story, his his autobiography. Paul loved this church. He's fighting for their souls. This is a matter of eternal life and death. He wanted them to forsake man's gospel, which is false, and embrace the true gospel from God. And that's what I want for you this morning, to see the folly of man's gospel and turn from it to embrace the good news of the true gospel from God. It is a matter of eternal life and death. So take your sermon outline. If you want to follow along that way, take notes. It's on the inside cover of your bulletin. The first thing that we learn from the Apostle Paul is that man's gospel is defined by people-pleasing versus God's gospel, which is defined by God being pleased. People-pleasing versus God-pleased. Look back at verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's this little word in that verse that's easy to skip over. It's the word still. Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What is Paul telling us about himself? He used to be a people pleaser. I used to be a people pleaser. I still struggle with being a people pleaser at times. So what is people pleasing? People pleasing is trying to secure the approval that we were created to find from God alone, trying to secure that approval from other people, right? A people pleaser craves the approval of others and also fears their disapproval, Ed Welch is a counselor. He wrote a book um, many years ago called When People Are Big and God is Small. When people are big and God is small. And in that book, he gives some diagnostic questions for figuring out whether you might be a people pleaser. So test yourself this morning. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Are you overcommitted? Do you find it hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? Do you need something from your spouse? Do you need your spouse to listen to you, respect you? Is self-esteem a critical concern for you? Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? 
Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? Do you feel empty or meaningless? Do you get easily embarrassed? Do you ever lie, especially the little white lies? What about cover-ups where you're not technically lying with your mouth? Are you jealous of other people? Do other people often make you angry or depressed? Are they making you crazy? Do you avoid people? Aren't most diets, even when they are ostensibly under the heading of health, dedicated to impressing others? And then he says, all right, have all these descriptions missed the mark? When you compare yourself with other people, do you feel good about yourself? If I, if I had had, while we were, I was reading that, if I said, Every, whenever one of those applies to you, stand up and stay standing. At the end of that, guess what? The whole room would have been standing, right? Because all of us, are guilty of being people pleasers. We all struggle with that. It's people pleasing is one of the marks of man's gospel. We seek the approval of others because we think it will fill us up. Welch says that we're, we're like walking love tanks, that we walk around uh, as love tanks that are empty, looking for someone to fill us up, only the problem is our tanks have a leak in them. So we're constantly... Um, looking around, we become ruled by others' opinions of us. When we are accepted, we feel alive, and when we are rejected, we feel like we have been slayed. Our desire for people's blessings amounts to adoration and worship, what the Bible calls idolatry. Um, Bono was being interviewed one time and, and uh, asked, um, you know, about how do you, how do you, What's the creativity? Where does the drive for artists come from to write these songs and perform? And, and uh, Bono said something really interesting. He said, if you were completely of sound mind, you would not need 70,000 people screaming I love you a night to feel normal. It's the God-shaped hole, I think, somebody called it once. We all act that way, right? We need people screaming I love you. We we feel like we need the approval of others. Um, we see it in the Bible, in, in the story of um, Saul. One time Saul was, was king uh, over Israel, and God told Saul, as king of the people, to lead his people in battle against uh, the enemies of God, against the Amalekites. And uh, God said, I want you to go uh, up against them in battle and wipe them out. Like everything, don't leave anything alive. Um, people, livestock, nothing, destroy it all. And uh, so Saul takes his army and uh, they go into battle. They defeat the Amalekites, only it says they decided to save some of the choice sheep and the oxen. And they, they come back from their victory and they're having their victory party. And uh, uh, Samuel, the prophet, comes to Saul and I've always wanted to see this scene played out like in a movie because here's Samuel and Saul's there and he's really proud of what he's done and, uh, and in the background what you hear is and Saul's like, you know, look at what I did. Didn't I follow God? And Samuel says, what is the bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? Right, the lowing of oxen. Right, these animals that are rising up to condemn you that you couldn't follow the simple command of God. And Saul says, um, I've sinned. 
I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because, he says, I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Saul was a people pleaser. Being a people pleaser kept him from following the simple, clear commands of God. As it does for us too, right? Uh, And Paul had been a serial people pleaser. But then something happened. He encountered the true gospel from God. Man's gospel says your approval, your sense of worth and acceptance can only be found in the approval of others. But God's gospel says your approval, your sense of worth and acceptance can only be found in the approval of God. Paul says in verse 16, this little phrase, he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. It pleased God to reveal his son to me. It pleased God to save Paul. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses reminded the Israelites of why God chose them. He said, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But why did God choose you? It was because the Lord loves you. It's because he loves you. That's why he chose you. It pleased him. It pleased God to save his people. It pleased God to save Paul. It pleased God to save you. Do you realize that? That it pleased God to save you, that your, your salvation was not like a divine oversight that like you snuck in the back door somehow and God's like, all right, they're in now. I guess I have to love him or love her. No, it pleased God to reveal his son to you, to make you his own. Jesus at his baptism, when the skies opened up and the spirit descended like a dove, the voice of God was heard saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And those words are not just for Jesus, they're for anyone who belongs to Jesus. Anyone who is in him hears the same words of God the Father This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Man's gospel is a gospel of emptiness, but God's gospel is a gospel of fullness because in Christ you have the pleasure of God. So if your heart is overflowing with the full and complete favor and approval of the creator of the universe, then why would you need to seek those things from someone else? If his opinion of you is fixed, then other people's opinions of you don't have to define you. God's gospel actually sets you free to love people instead of using people, to care more about them than you care about yourself. And God had an application, an immediate application for the Apostle Paul in this, and an application for us. Um, God has set us free from people-pleasing in order to be able to do gospel evangelism. Paul said, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What happened when Paul preached the gospel? Well, some people loved him and some people hated him. He was persecuted, he was reviled, he was misunderstood, but because he was not trying to please man, he was able to say, as he said in 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God, 
who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who's sufficient for these things? We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, those who don't have to be people pleasers anymore. Commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Man's gospel is about people pleasing, but God's gospel is about believing and telling others that in Christ, God is pleased with us. And that's closely related to the the second thing that we learned from Paul in this passage. The um, uh, second thing we learned from his testimony is that man's gospel is a gospel of works versus God's gospel being a gospel of grace. Works versus grace. The reason that Paul opposed these Judaizers was because their message was not Jesus alone. It was Jesus plus works, right? Jesus plus keeping the law. Paul's main argument in Galatians is that you cannot make yourself acceptable to God by following the law. That we are justified, we are made right with God, not by our works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. Paul knew that a gospel of works doesn't work. Right? A gospel of works doesn't work. The gospel must be of grace. Look again at what he says, starting in verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Again here, Paul alludes to his former life. And and Paul's essentially saying to the Galatians, I did what the Judaizers are telling you to do. I did it and I did it better than them. Right? I... um, If anyone could try and argue that their works merited God's favor, it was me. I was committed. I was passionate. I was zealous. I was at the top of my class. I didn't just follow the law. I followed the traditions. And at the end of the day, when I stood before the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, all of it counted for nothing. It didn't work. Man's gospel of works is a false gospel. When Martin Luther read these verses... He saw himself, and he said this. He said, like Paul, I too, before I was enlightened by the gospel, was as zealous as ever anyone was for the traditions of the fathers. I maintained and defended them most earnestly as being holy and necessary to salvation. Moreover, I tried to keep them myself as much as possible, punishing my poor body with fasting, watching, praying, and other exercises. It says, outwardly, I was not like other people, extortioners, unjust, whoremongers. Rather, I practiced poverty, chastity, and obedience. Yet, underneath this cloak of holiness and trust in my own righteousness, I fostered continual mistrust, doubting, fear, hatred, and blasphemy against God. My righteousness was nothing but a filthy puddle in the very kingdom of the devil, Satan loves such saints who destroy their own beliefs and souls and deprive themselves of all the blessings of God's gifts. Luther discovered that a gospel of works doesn't work. 
And Paul is such a perfect illustration of the futility of man's gospel of works and the true good news of God's gospel of grace. Grace is unmerited favor, right? Grace is the opposite of works. A gospel of works says that you only get what you deserve. It tells you that you do certain things or keep certain rules in order um, to be all right. But love, kindness, and favor must be earned. Grace, on the other hand, gives you what you have not deserved. It pours out love, kindness, and favor unconditionally. You don't have to earn it. It's free for the taking. Paul, when he wrote, he, um, he said, I persecuted the church of God violently. And that word uh, in the Greek that uh, he uses for persecuted, it's the same Greek word that's used in Acts 9 when uh, Jesus uh, stands before Paul and uh, Saul at the time says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I just wonder, every time Paul wrote that word persecute, every time he said, I persecuted the church, I think he heard Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? I think he remembered Jesus on the road. Just like Peter, every morning when he woke up to the sound of a rooster crowing, remembered that he had betrayed Jesus. How do you remember the worst things, the most awful things, horrible things you've done? How do you have hope? Well, it's because of grace. Because of grace. How do you recover? Tim Keller said this. He said, Paul's experience proves in the most vivid way that the gospel is not simply religion as it is generally understood. On the one hand, Paul was incredibly moral and righteous, yet he was not good enough to be right with God. On the other hand, he was incredibly evil, and yet he was not so bad that the gospel of grace could not redeem him. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Paul shows us here in the most vivid way that the gospel calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. Grace. Um, And uh, another story in the Old Testament from uh, King David. David and his men were out um, uh, on their missions, doing their, their thing. They had been out for a while, like on these campaigns, it had been a few months, and they had left their family and all their stuff back in, uh, in a city called Ziklag. And uh, while they were gone, the Amalekites came through and uh, pillaged the city. They took the women and the children and all of their stuff, and they burned the city to the ground, like burned like you saw in the video of the Maui wildfires, devastated. That's what Paul and his soldiers come back to. They come back to the city, all of their loved ones are gone, everything is gone. The passage says that they wept until they were tired of weeping. And then the, um, Paul's soldiers, began, some of them began to turn on him Right, that whole thing of, if, if we hadn't been with you, this might not have happened. And Paul cries out to God, and 
asks God, should I go after the Amalekites? Should, should I go and pursue them? And God says, yes, pursue them. I will give them into your hands. And so um, uh, David leads uh, his men, leads 600 men to uh, follow the Amalekites. And, uh, uh, and, and, and as they're going, they reach uh, a brook, right, a stream called the Brook Besser. And, uh, and at this brook, 200 of the soldiers say, we're done. We can't go any further. We're exhausted. We're worn out. We're staying here. And so David leaves them at the brook, and he takes 400 of his men. And they go, and they pursue, and they overcome the Amalekites. Uh, they um, uh, get their women and their children back. They get all of their stuff back. And now David and his men are coming back after the battle, back after recovering everything that was lost, and they come back to the brook. And there are the 200 men with their feet in the water, right? Relaxing, couldn't go to battle. And some of the men in David's party say, hold up. (laughs) We were tired too, but we went. And we did the fighting, and we won, and you give them their wives and their kids, but nothing else, right? They didn't earn it. It's not fair. And David said this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 24. He said, For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. You went into battle, or you stayed at the brook and watched the luggage you get the same spoils, you get the same blessing. It's not fair, it's grace. Because what did Jesus do for us? He went to battle for us while we stayed at the brook. We didn't earn it, he earned it, but he gives it to us through grace. Man's gospel is based on works. God's gospel is based on grace. After telling the Galatians of his former life, Paul said, but when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, God who knew everything about me before I was even born, he chose me, he called me, not by works, but by grace. But when God. The testimony of every Christian is but when God. Not then when I, but when God. Grace, the true gospel is that which is from God, it's of grace. And then third and finally, man's gospel is defined by glorifying self versus God's gospel defined by glorifying God. A glorifying self or glorifying God. Look again at what Paul says after he, um, what he did after Jesus met him on the Damascus road and he was converted, what did Paul do? He said, I did did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter. I remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I'm not lying about what I'm telling you. He said, I went into the regions after that of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried 
to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. The reason why Paul goes into these details about what happened after he was converted is because he's emphasizing what he said earlier. Remember what he said? My gospel is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it by any man. It's all from God. Paul didn't learn the gospel from Peter or James or any of the other apostles in Jerusalem. He learned it from Jesus. Paul didn't derive his gospel from them, but his gospel did check out with them, right? It was the same gospel message as theirs. All of this was to counter the false teacher's arguments and to prove to the Galatians that Paul was a real apostle and that his message um, was the true gospel. Throughout history, people have tried to say that the message of Jesus and the message of Paul are different. And that's a significant claim because Paul wrote half of the New Testament. So if Paul and Jesus are not on the same team, then, then we've got an issue. Um, the problem with it is um, the splitting Paul and Jesus is that it doesn't square with the story. Paul shows us that his gospel is Jesus' gospel because it's from Jesus. It's not from man. But what's, what strikes me about what Paul did um, when he received the gospel from Christ, uh, it stands out in these verses the, the, the difference um, between the aim in, of man's gospel and God's gospel. They have two different aims. The aim of man's gospel is to glorify yourself. Right? Man's gospel says, seek glory for yourself. Right? Seek fame for yourself. Seek popularity for yourself. That's the false gospel that our culture peddles to us, right? Seek glory for yourself. P.T. Barnum made famous the saying that there is no such thing as bad publicity. Or Oscar Wilde said, there's only one thing in the world worse than being talked about, and that is not being talked about. But the very first question of the Westminster Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? What were you created for? And every one of our kids in our school memorizes the answer. Right, that the chief end of man is to glorify God, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's gospel says that your chief end is to glorify yourself and enjoy yourself forever. So do you see how man's gospel and God's gospel are diametrically opposed, right? They can't coexist. Either you are, you are at the center of life or God is at the center of life, but it can't be both. Charles Spurgeon said, there is only room for one glory in the universe, if Paul had been operating by man's gospel, this is what I think he would have done. I think he would have gone straight to Jerusalem, right? He would have gone there and been like, I'm here, right? Take a look at me now. I'm an apostle too. Like my name needs to be on the billboards. But that's not what he does, right? He does the exact opposite. He goes into Arabia, into the wilderness, into obscurity, and then three years it takes, three years before he goes to Jerusalem. And then when he goes, he's only there for 15 days. He's only there to really um, meet Peter and James, doesn't see any of the other apostles. And then he heads back out into the unknown areas, Syria and Cilicia. And, and as a result, he says, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea. You see, when the aim of your life isn't to get as much glory for yourself as you can, 
then you are okay with being unknown. You are okay, you can live in the insignificant places because God is there. G.K. Chesterton wrote, he said, how much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. How much happier you would be, how much more of you there would be if the hammer of a higher God could smash your small cosmos. It's not about you, it's about God. Paul says, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Isn't that, they glorified God because of me. Isn't that the, the phrase that you wanna hear one day about your kids and your grandkids? They glorified God because of me. Like, isn't that the phrase you wanna hear one day about your coworkers and your friends, they glorified God because of me. Or isn't that the phrase you wanna hear one day about anyone who comes and intersects with your life, they glorified God because of me. Yes, I was there, but it wasn't about me. It's about God. They glorified God. Um, don't give glory to me, give glory to God. It's interesting, I, I noted, I, Took me a while, but I noticed after um, with with my kids sometimes, not every night, but um, if I get a chance to put them to bed and and uh, uh, I'll sing to them, and both my wife and I will sing to them, and and um, uh, I sing to them the doxology. We sang it earlier in the service. Right? Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise, right? Glorify God. And what I've noticed with my youngest, it happened the other night. I started singing the doxology, and um, almost right after I started singing it, he yawned. Right? And and it's almost like his soul exhaled, and he could rest because that's what you were created for—to praise God, to glorify Him, not yourself. Tim Keller's funeral happened uh, this week, and uh, people were struck. He, he, he wrote his own funeral, and, and uh, people were struck by how little people talked about Tim in the funeral, <laughs> that he really wanted it to be about God and about Christ. And uh, Scotty Smith wrote this about it. He said, my biggest takeaways from being at Tim Keller's memorial service is this. It's impossible to make too much of Jesus. Jesus isn't to be balanced out, fit into anything. We're capable of being obnoxious Christians, but we'll never over-adore, over-love, or over-serve Jesus, because that's what we were created for, his glory. So man's gospel versus God's gospel. Which one will you choose to embrace today? It really comes down to a question. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from the slavery of people pleasing? Do you want to be free from the crushing burden of trying to earn God's favor? Do you want to be free from the insanity of making life about yourself and seeking glory for yourself? Gospel freedom comes when you believe that in Christ, I have all the approval I could ever want or need. By grace, he has saved me. Nothing I can do can earn it, nothing I do can lose it. So God's people say, not to us, not to us, Lord, but to your name, be the glory. 
That's what makes the gospel, the true gospel, good news. And don't we need good news today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came and rescued us by grace and grace alone. And that in you we find freedom from all the slavery that is in these false gospels. In your true gospel, we come alive. Come alive to who you made us to be and we come alive to your glory. So thank you, Jesus. We give you the praise, we give you the worship, we give you the glory this morning. And we pray in your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.